0: If you're intelligent, in my mind, then you're never sure because you need to investigate more. Whereas if you are just saying, I know, I know, I know, then, you know, you probably haven't thought about it very much.
1: Welcome to the Behind the Scenes podcast. This is Michael Golab. Today I'm talking to Lucy Lennox. Lucy is an international casting director with casting offices in Madrid and Barcelona, Spain. Her list of clients includes Netflix, Paramount, ABC, NBC, Disney and several independent producers in Spain. She's served on the board of CSA Europe, which is the Casting Society of America, and also as head of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee in Europe. We talk about common misconceptions of what casting directors do, the significance of resetting your brain how your career is more defined by what you say no to than what you say yes to, the essential skill of treating yourself like your own best friend, the connection between good storytelling and resilience, the danger when stories aim for the lowest common denominator, the power of not knowing, and so much more. Unfortunately, we had some connectivity issues when recording this particular conversation, so some parts of it might be a bit difficult to understand. But I really think that it'll be worth your time, and I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. And now, I bring you Lucy Lennox. Hi, Lucy.
0: Hi, Michael. Nice to be here. I'm great.
1: Thanks so much for joining me.
0: You're very, very welcome.
1: So my first question would be, what do you love the most about being a casting director?
0: I think what I most enjoy about being a casting director is that every project is different. It's always a new challenge. And I also love, I mean, I'm very much a people person, so I love all the different people that I get to meet, you know, on each project, all the different actors, the creatives, the producers, the directors. And I love reading. So I really enjoy reading scripts. So, I mean, I basically, there's nothing I don't like about being a casting director.
1: Is there anything you find well applicable from that in your daily life, from reading scripts and dealing with people?
0: I think my daily life is being a casting director. So it's basically everything I, I mean, I don't, there's, I mean, it's one of the problems when you work in film and television, there's not a great deal of separation between my daily life and work life because I, yeah. I, I'm always working, I'm always doing stuff. So I guess it all merges, it's all very symbiotic. You know, when I watch films, that's my hobby, but I'm also thinking about work because I'm thinking about the in them, the stories, um, you know, when I'm meeting people, you know. It's very much, and particularly at the moment, you know, where we're all, you know, slightly out of balance between, you know, work and home life because we can work, but we can't. You know, I can't go out and um, and just you know go to a bar anymore. So basically, my daily life is being a casting director. So everything mashes together in a very kind of, you know, harmon- harmonious way.
1: Hmm. I guess what I mean is if, if say, you're with your friends, do they sometimes say, oh, now you're being a casting director, you're like spotting, th- like noticing things that we wouldn't notice, like in that kind of way.
0: Not really. I mean, no, because, not, no, and a lot of my friends work in the industry anyway. But, I mean, I suppose, you know, when I watch a film, I'm more focused on the actors and they're more focused on the plot sometimes. Mm. But, no, I mean, I wouldn't really, um, you know, no, I don't think that there is any difference. I mean, I'm kind of a, pre- a present person, so I'm not going to start being a casting director if I'm having a dinner with a friend and we're talking about politics or psychology. But I am a casting director, so that does define me in many ways.
1: Hmm. What advice would you give to your younger self? Like, what do you wish you would have known in your 20s, 30s?
0: I think that's an interesting question because I really believe that you have to live each age for what it is. So the things that I wish I would known, maybe save more money, but then I wouldn't have done all the things that I did because I, would have, I wouldn't have spent the money that I spent on travel or fun. Um, and I think my advice, I think about it quite a lot. I, I always recommend that you have the vision of your younger self um, so that when you look or, you know, if you're feeling a bit lost, you can kind of channel your younger self and think how happy they would be about where you are. So all I would say to my younger self is, it's gonna be okay. And just enjoy enjoy the ride, enjoy it. And, you know, there's nothing, you know, the good times, bad times, they're all part of life. They make you who you are, Um, you know, and I'm not, so I look forward a lot more than I look back. I'm not somebody who ruminates. That much about the past, and I'm very happy about a lot of. The, I mean, I don't have too many regrets or any. So, I would think, just I would probably say to my younger self, "You've got this. It's okay. Keep going."
1: <laughs> yeah. So don't don't worry. Did do you find you did you worry more when you were younger than you do now?
0: No, I don't. I mean, did I worry? I think I had. You know, probably like a lot of people in my mid-twenties, I had a sort of, you know, identity crisis or, you know, a moment of angst where I was trying to work out what was the meaning of life.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, and
0: I, probably, I suppose that was in my late teens and I can remember, you know, talking to my dad, you know, what's this all about? You know, what are we, what are we meant to be doing? You know, what, what's the purpose of life? And, you know, and I think my father probably gave me very good advice that you just have like, to get on with it and you know have you know have memorable moments and there's not such a great purpose in life but no I don't I mean I think now is a more worrying time in many ways because um you know we're not quite sure where the world's going so there are more things that can provoke anxiety I I try not to buy into anxiety because I don't think it's a useful emotion so Mm. I don't I'm much more of a doer. So if I think that there's something I need to, that I can action, then I action it. And that's what I try to keep in mind.
1: Mm. Do you have a letting go ritual, like anything you do to find peace at the end of a stressful day?
0: I suppose, I mean, I do stretches every night before I go to bed and that really helps. So that's, you know, five to 10 minutes of stretching. Oh, that's a nice. kind of, you know, physical thing that I do to mark the end of the day. That's quite new. I mean, that's coming in in the last year or so because it was to try and disconnect from, you know, isolation and COVID. Otherwise, you know, I like dancing. I like going out. I like being with my friends. I like laughing. I'm very social, but, you know, that's something that I'm, you know, finding that I have to compensate for now, like, because, you know, a lot less social, obviously. Um, And then, you know, and I do occasionally, you know, I do have, you know, my own kind of moments where I just sit and let things move from your short term memory into your long term memory. I always think of it like meeting your computer. So I'm conscious that there are things that we need to put into long term and not just keep them on the surface. So that's just, you know, taking some time to do that
1: how oh, that's interesting how do you do that is it just by you just sit down and you do it Yeah,
0: it's, it's just allowing yourself space i think one of the problems with today is that we don't have a lot of space because if you're sitting on your own in a bar or a cafe i do a lot of sitting in cafe i used to do before COVID, i sitting in cafes but people are always on their mobile looking at social media checking out instagram checking out and sometimes it's just about sitting and not doing anything yeah. and that's it's allowing yourself time for your brain to, you know, reorganize things, and you can't, you can't do that if you're doing something else at the same time.
1: Yeah, so it's a form of meditation, basically. Interesting.
0: Okay, yeah. I never thought of it as meditation. I thought of it more as not consciously doing something, so you allow space.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. But the, that, that would that'd be one one definition of meditation, I guess. It's just, it's <laughs> very it, yeah. Yeah, and how are your stretches in the evening are they? Is it yoga or is it something you came up with, or is it no? I mean, dance or no? It's just it's very basic.
0: I mean, that's basically mm. I have a routine. It changes, but they are either from my um, physiotherapist and ah. um, which are some that I do, and just the ones that work for me, basically. Mm. Mm. What would be your
1: main advice to someone who'd like to succeed as a casting director, a filmmaker, actor, director, basically in the the acting industry?
0: Okay, I mean, there are four very different roles. That is very true, yeah. So I think somebody who wants to succeed as a casting director, and success is a very weird word for me because it's not, I think success, I think one of the problems in today's society is that we perceive success to be financial, yeah, You know, and I don't necessarily agree with that, but unfortunately life is very expensive, so we do need money. I think money has being freedom vouchers. So, you know, first of all, to define success, being a successful casting director, I suppose, is having interesting projects that you believe in. Um, so for uh, a successful casting director, I think is to be, you have to be interested in people. You have to um, network. You have to watch a lot of films, you have to connect with a lot of people, and you have to not be, um, and you have to just be active and a good listener, you know, and not have too big a deal because it's not really about you, it's about the audience. There's an element of, you know, one project leads to another, so it's making sure that you put the same amount of energy into every single project. It doesn't matter whether you're being paid a lot or a little or whether you're, you know, it's a huge budget with an uh, you know, Oscar-winning director or a budget of third or a film with a first-time filmmaker. You have to be prepared to give 100% of everything because you're judging the last project and you don't know if the first-time filmmaker is then going to go on to be one of the world's top filmmakers. So it's very important that you don't, that you treat everybody with the same level of commitment. For a filmmaker, A filmmaker, I think you have to learn how to have a lot of patience um, and to be a perfectionist and to learn how to still be in love with your project. A lot of filmmakers fall because the process of getting their films made is so torturous about the finance that by the time they actually get to shoot, they've run out of energy or love for the project because they've been talking about independent and young filmmakers here. So you're talking about people who want to be successful. They have to learn how to plan so that they're not so stressed when they come to shoot, so they can live and tell the story that they want to tell. And then to be a successful actor, which for me, a successful actor is somebody who makes most of their living from acting. And it's not it's not a, or you know a really successful actor who makes, is somebody who makes 100 percent of their living from acting. And it's the same with actors, to be a successful actor, is to commit fully to each project, say no, learning the power of saying no to projects that you're not interested in, because your Mm. career is defined more by what you say no to than by what you can say yes to. Um, And then another thing would be to concentrate on your craft. A lot of actors get overzealous about, Networking or reaching out or contacting people when they don't have anything to show, and then they feel very humiliated or ignored when people don't reply to them. A lot of it's very interesting. One of the things that I do, a course, that I'm running for actors, the first question I ask actors is, um, you know, why are you an actor? You know, what is it that's moved you? What is it that's made you an actor? And a lot of the people answer that by saying, you know, it comes from childhood usually and it comes from a desire to be seen. You know, and that's why a lot of actors, very successful actors have had fractured childhoods or have been parts of families that have moved around a lot or they've been parts of large families or for whatever reason, there's a desire for actors to be seen. And then they've chosen an industry which ignores them. (laughs) Ninety percent of the time, so it's not a very good fix. So it's just being aware of that, um, and when you're aware of that, you know a lot of the times things that you're aware of, then you can find the tools to um, to combat it, and that is a very. With actors, remember that it's the performance that matters most. It's not how many followers you have on Instagram. It's not how many casting directors you sent an email to. Yes, of course, you have to be on the radar of the industry, but to be on somebody's radar, you have to be showing what you're good at and what you're available to, uh, you know, what, what your unique and special essence is. Yeah. And so I was active you know, it's part of what I work on with actors on the course that I do, I say, make a plan put all of your, you know, networking or reaching out into the plan, but don't do that because you're feeling like nobody's called you for three months and you're feeling insecure because you're sending out basically unsolicited mails at three o'clock on a Saturday night and then nobody replies to them and it makes you feel shit and it makes you feel much worse. An actor has to feel confident, confidence has to come from within, you know, and it's about don't try always to look for external validation. That would be my
1: advice. Hmm. And do you have any advice for them to find this internal validation? Does it come in investing in your craft and in your work, would you say?
0: I think it comes from a lot. I mean, this is a really long conversation. It comes from, yes, making sure that your inner voice is supportive. And you talk to yourself like you're your own best friend. I think it's a very lonely profession. It's a profession for people who need other people to work, who have love, actors love working with other people, but when you don't have a job, sometimes that's difficult to achieve. It's also, uh, it's lonely in the sense that you're often, the people that you're closest to are your competitors. And it's very difficult, you know, it's very difficult when, in a group of actors who studied at drama school together, one of them becomes a superstar and one of them is waiting tables. And you're friends, so you want to be happy um, for the person who's doing well, but at the same time it's difficult if you can't pay your rent. And when you're doing very well, you want to share your triumphs with people, but it's not very sensitive to share your triumphs with your best friends if they can't pay their rent. So it creates a lot of imbalance. And I know a lot of you know actors who are in relationships with each other, and that can be very tough when one partner is doing extremely well and the other partner oh, yeah. is not doing well because. There's, from both sides, it's not just about the person who's doing well. I mean, it's very lonely to be doing well when everybody else is doing badly. And that happens a lot with actors because, you know, so it's about learning how to talk to yourself like you're your own best friend. And if you have a negative voice, and, you know, people have negative inner voices that come from childhood, culture, upbringing, you um, because they're being beaten down by the industry or whatever. It's just taking time. Either you know, either changing it, it's an easy change for you. And if it's not, I really suggest doing some sort of therapy that will help you talk to yourself in a kind and supportive way. I don't mean in a, oh my God, you're amazing you know, all the time. Although a bit of that can help, but it's about making sure that your internal conversation is not putting you down. Uh, the other way is as you know is making sure that you i mean i very much recommend actors to keep you know what i would call a toolbox of joy or you know moments of triumph write them down or record them and have them so that when you're feeling lost you can go back and remember and they're not industry triumphs. it might just be you've done a really good you know monologue in class but remember the moments that have made you feel good about your craft when a teacher has told you that it was good or your peers have been impressed by something you've done and just have those moments in your mind or somewhere that you can access easily. Then I suppose, and the other thing about that that I would say, it's really important to remember, and I think this is very relevant at the moment, that a lot of actors felt very lost last year after the pandemic started because they felt like they weren't essential workers. And I really believe that Culture is essential, storytelling is essential. It's as essential to the human being as you know, physical exercise, because when we access culture, we, access, um, we exercise our brain and we train ourselves in resilience. And actors are a very important part of that. The industry needs actors, storytellers need actors, the world needs actors to tell their stories. And it's just a moment of feeling proud of your profession which I felt a lot of people were very lost last year. But then after you know, all these, this almost a year of lockdown, where we've seen that what does bring joy to the world is stories, is film, is television, music. It's sort of that you're, you, the actor, are a part of that. And to feel that you have a place in the world, you have a place in the world going forward, and to feel a little bit of pride in the fact that you are important
1: yeah 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 well it's basically what makes us human isn't it storytelling yeah
0: it's what it's what makes us human, but even beyond that it's what makes human beings resilient you know and that's why that is why we've told we've been telling stories since you know prehistoric times where people sat around you know the bonfire and you tell stories to keep the dark away. you also watch film and TV. While you're watching it, your brain is actively working out solutions which help you as you go forward in life. Because your brain is thinking, what would I do in that situation? What would I do that? And that is what helps prepare us to live life in the modern world.
1: Yeah, it's also very important. I mean, I think it's very interesting, important what you said about rejection and coming from wanting to be seen. I think a lot of our listeners will resonate with that, with this feeling of, well, getting rejection all the time. And to remind yourself, yeah, like you said, remind yourself of all the stuff that you've achieved so far because yeah. it's just... And I think yeah, that's a forward. very
0: important thing to remember is that it's actually not rejection. There's two things. Actors think that when people don't reply to their mails, etc., it's rejection, where it's really not. Because what you're doing is you're marketing. And that would be like, you know, if I don't click on an ad that I get on Instagram, I'm not rejecting product and just didn't open it and it just means that you know it wasn't of interest to me at that time and it's and it just means you know and a lot of actors send out stuff which is unsolicited and, yeah. and when it's unsolicited you can't expect a response it's just you're just trying a marketing strategy so then you think, okay, that didn't work, or it worked, or it worked 10% of the time. When you send out 100 mails, if 10 people work, that means you have a 10% success rate. So it's focusing on the success. And then the other thing that I think is extremely important for actors to know, and I don't know, I mean, I say this over and over again, is that casting, the word cast comes from an ancient Asian word, Norse word, which is like fishing. It's to cast, it's to throw out. We're looking for just one person. When we cast, we're not evaluating who is the best actor. It's not, we don't sit there, you know, like a driving test, you know, oh, they, oh, they sped at the wrong time or they turned left when they turn right. It's not, it's just about who's right. I, I often, the example of like, it's like when I have to buy a pair of shoes, I go to the shoe shop, I know what I'm buying the shoes for. I might be buying them to go to a wedding. I might be buying them for work. I might be buying them for sport. So I go to the shoe shop and I kind of know my budget and then I select a couple of pairs of shoes that kind of look and feel right. And then I try them on. And the shoes that I take home with me are the ones that fit my feet best and look right for what I'm going to do and are in my budget. And I don't apologize to the other four sets of shoes that I haven't taken home. And there's nothing wrong with them. They were all right. It was just I'm only to buy one. And that is what it is from casting, you know, actors send me mails. you know, oh, can you give me some feedback? Why did not I get the role? And it's like, there's no reason why you didn't get the role. Actors never write to me and say, why did I get the role? They only ask why I didn't. And it's exactly the same reason. It was because somebody else's energy and essence were what the director or the producer were looking for that at that moment. And it's an entire package and it has got nothing to do with, um, you know, we don't mark, we don't grade people. And casting is a trying on. It's not a test. You know, so many actors come to castings as though it was an exam. And mm. it's not. It's just it's just to play. It's just a test to see. It's not a test. It's just a trial to see who fits into the jigsaw puzzle of the casting of that project in the best way.
1: Yeah. What I'm hearing as well is you're saying that none of it is personal, obviously. No. But... It's it's I, yeah that's that's such a good point. I mean, wh- whether you're sending out emails or you're going to a casting, none of it is personal.
0: No, I mean you make personal relationships, and it is a very personal industry. So it's not that it's not personal, but the idea of um,
1: what I mean is that you 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 shouldn't. I mean, that's a it's a big ask, but you shouldn't take it personally in a way because you know these people don't want to offend you. They're not doing this because they think oh, you know we're going to show him. Or her. Yeah, and also, I mean, so, yeah. it's
0: like, uh, in terms of the personal thing, it's like, you know, if you're writing the same letter to 100 people, I mean, and I find, you know, that I just don't know the names of the casting directors of the projects, even the ones that they've been casting, or the ones of the kind of projects that they would like to, like, but then they're getting kind of, but they didn't reply to me. And I'm like, but you didn't really write like them, you just sent out a kind of pretty boring um, standard mailing you know, if you want to be treated personally, you have to treat people personally, you know. Yeah, and treat, treat people as individuals so that you could be treated as an individual. And I guess, and the other thing is that with the casting, I mean, I know that it's really difficult and it's really difficult not to take it as a rejection, but it's a bit like when you fall in love, you don't tell people, oh, why did I fall in love with this person and not that person? You know why you fell in love with somebody, but not why you didn't fall in love with somebody who the paper was perfect. You know, it's very much about chemistry and feeling that people are right, you know. I've been to- talking from the point that when people have been invited to a casting. Because once you've been asked to a casting, then you're right for the role. And then it's just the person who feels most right and who's closest to, you know, what the director or producer or showrunner wants. They will get it. Or somebody who surprises them. But it's not, it's done instinct rather than, you know, putting people from one to ten.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you say are the greatest mistakes that people make in the acting business?
0: Greatest mistakes that people make. The greatest mistakes they make are thinking that the industry is the enemy. You know, so I think that you have to know more about the industry. Um, I also think one of the greatest mistakes is looking to the United States of America as the reference point. So, you know, when I ask, you know, and I, I, I work with young directors sometimes, or when I ask them who they want to work with, they give me a list of, you know, Oscar winning American directors. And like, you know, know, know your local industry first, know who's making independent films in your region, know about your industry and use it as a building block you know, don't say that you, you know, want to work with Spielberg or Woody Allen or um, whoever before you've worked with people, you know, doing short films. You know, and I think the biggest mistake is people treat the industry as though they were fans as opposed to they were active participants in it. Uh-huh. And so that being an active participant means when you go to the cinema, you watch the films of people in your pond first and you treat it as a profession and you know how the industry is working where you actually live. Um, And I think, you know, there's a huge disconnect between the different parts of the film industry, which I think is a mistake. I think actors should know about camera, distribution, casting and have a much bigger knowledge of how the industry works that's how they're planning to have their career or where they're planning to have their career. I see a lot of people who graduate from drama school and they don't really even know how much get paid a day for a job, but anything about how they're going to run their lives financially, how they're going to run their career. And they're just you know, dreaming about roles, but they haven't really got to the nuts and bolts of how the industry works. So many actors have no idea how casting works, for example. You know, and, and including actors I know quite well, they'll, they think, you know, that I make decisions, I don't make decisions, I put people forward, or they think that we evaluate people, or that, you know, we only, or, you know, one of the most common misconceptions is thinking that it's always the same people who get passed. And like, how can you possibly think that? Otherwise then everybody would be 96 in the cast. You know, we, we discover new people all the time. That's what casting directors really like doing, is discovering new talents. And had another big misconception I think casting directors can find roles for actors. We don't find roles for actors. We find actors for roles. That's our job.
1: Mm. It's also probably useful to say that um, I also link to your website because mm-hmm. um, you, you offer all these courses, right, for actors and what, what mm-hmm. casting is about. I think that might be really useful for people to know.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's one, uh, there's a course on Domestica, which is a, a you know, creative training plan, which is a very, very, very cheap course, which is just online. And it's for young filmmakers, but I think it's kind of interesting for actors because it just explains the whole process of casting from the other side of you. And then I do more in you know training courses where I'm actually involved with actors and helping them to get their plans. And I do that through my through my studio. And I love to
1: and also, there, there are a lot of courses that are for free for people to know. So you can just check it out for free and then sign up for stuff. Yeah.
0: I mean, I try to put quite a lot of stuff up that's just for free. And I run a, you know, which you're in, the Facebook group, Get Inspired, where we're always trying to do... Um, I'm always trying to make people connect with the industry. So on Get Inspired, we do a lot of table reads for scripts that are in development, or if there's interesting information, and Get Inspired is something I just... I do the young filmmaker, Kristen Dania, and we did we set it up during the first lockdown. And it's just to have a supportive community for actors mm. where we're actually doing stuff. What are your core values? My core values are I very much believe in the greater good. I believe that we should be trying to make the world a better place for everybody. I believe in... I mean, that's my core value, is that it's not enough just to be okay you. You have to try and make other people okay. I um, I believe in kindness um, and bravery are my core values. Don't be scared to do things. Don't be scared to try things. Don't be scared to fail. And then always be kind. Remember, you know, until you've walked in that saying, until you've walked in somebody else's shoes, you won't understand them.
1: Oh, yeah. Isn't that from To Kill a Mockingbird? Isn't that what... I think so. I think so. How are, you, like, how are you making the world a better place, if I may ask?
0: How am I making the world a better place? There is something that I do... That, I mean, it's a pretty personal thing. How am I making the world a better place? I believe that I have a lot more to do if I really wanted to make the world a better place. But personally, I try to connect with people. I try to make sure that I'm supportive to people. Who are going through a difficult time. So I, I do reach out if I can see that somebody's, you know, I'm aware of doing that. Um, I also support a breakdance school in Gaza, in Palestine. Oh, wow. And I, in fact, I haven't supported this year because it's been such a difficult year. So you just reminded me, I'm, I'm going to contact them. It's an amazing, you know, place that's set up by some breakdancers in Gaza and they train other break dancers, and some of them have now, since I've done, are now living in America or in Europe, because they've been on tour. But that's just something, I think dance is an amazing thing that you can do without a lot of money. So it's not like acting where filmmaking is incredibly expensive, but you kids know, who can dance can feel free, feel joy, and can reach, you know, you can become a world-class dancer. From coming from an extremely um, complicated background, way that and other things that you can't do. So I help them. I've also, I mean, I've done quite a lot of that kind of thing, but it's more private. I prefer to do it privately. And then um, I like to think that I very strongly believe that you should. We can help a few people. It's not about helping a lot of people. But if you can make a difference, you know, I think you can make a difference to a few people's lives that helps make the world a better place. So that's what I tried to do. And that's what I have been doing.
1: Hmm. What is your greatest failure and what did you learn from it?
0: So funny. I really look forward so I don't think of things as being particular failures. I mean, on a, on a, I mean, I, I just, to think what I would call a failure. I don't see particularly anything as a failure. I did extremely badly in my final exams at school for very, very personal reasons. And it was a big surprise to my father. Um, And so that would be my greatest failure in not achieving the expectations that other people have had. Um, But that on the path that has led me to where I am now, I wouldn't have studied, I studied Spanish at university, um, because I got off to a place that was nothing to do with what I wanted to study. And that meant that I was sent to Barcelona. I did my thesis in Barcelona as part of that degree. And I fell in love with Barcelona, the city, the way of life, And it changed my life. So what was probably the greatest failure, which was aged 18, then became the thing that gave me most joy and was the best decision of my life.
1: I think you can turn most, I mean, not all, but most things around like that by just changing your perspective on them, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's how
0: you think about things.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of answered that before, but why is it so important to keep creating good art, theatre, films? Why is storytelling so important?
0: I think storytelling is essential to the human psyche. I think that we need stories. I think It helps to give us a frame of reference which is why it's important to tell interesting and diverse stories. It's one of the things that I think is particularly difficult about the last century's history, that you know, the 20th century, because of the political situation in Europe. The film industry, which started in Europe, which was developing in a totally different way, then became dominated by Hollywood because of you know the rise of fascism in Spain, the civil war, the dictatorship. Um, the First and Second World War stopped. You know, there were film studios in um, Barcelona, for example, which were amazing, but they were bombed. And then there were filmmakers, um, you know, the first filmmaker in the, in the world to do a close-up shot was a French woman. And she was also, then she went to America, and she was also filmed films with an entirely Afro-American cast, uh, Alice Key. Um, But because Hollywood was set up, studio system became you know it was, it was set by five people basically and it, we're telling their stories and i think it's done an awful lot of i mean there's great things about it i'm not criticizing it in that sense but it would have been nice if if the world had allowed the other stories to develop at the same time and we don't really know about you know the the other places where there are very strong separate film industries are in india and in nigeria but Generally, a lot of people look to the Hollywood model, which is extremely successful, but it's a bit like looking at, you know, an Amazon as a successful model and forgetting running a, you know, boutique shop selling is also successful and it's also sometimes more interesting. It's slightly um, concerning about, you know, the rise of the multinational because it tends to make everything homogenous. You know, a lot of people, you know, for example, you know, cowboy films um, have defined how Americans think of the frontier era. But if you study the frontier era, you know, 33% of cowboys were black or Chinese, but we weren't seeing them. So that means that you know, the black American population and the Asian population would see themselves as having been cowboys was when they were. You know, but it wasn't told in the story. So it's it's when the you know the lie becomes the truth. I believe as well the role of women. Women were much more stronger before the film industry. You know there was you no know, of course there's things about and things like that. But you know the obsession you know with women's physical appearance is very much comes from film. You know and then people only want to see attractive people playing in terms of i think film you know which i um, you know i love the industry i love the stories and i love the new you know the fact that diversity has now become a major issue and but i do feel that we have to be responsible that for the narrative and narrative is extremely important and it's making sure and people are always complaining about you know there's not enough roles for older women there's not enough roles for this and it comes from scripts and there are thousands and thousands of scripts which have diverse stories different stories but they're not getting financed. and I think people forget that they think that people are only writing stories that are you know these very male-led or white Caucasian-led stories but in fact there are there's a whole wealth of stories that have been written, but they're not being financed because the easiest thing is to find something that you know is an easy sell. And
1: what would your advice to those filmmakers be who find it difficult to finance a movie, which is more niche? I have no say.
0: advice for them because I mean, I just find it really, it's just unfair, but it's just, but it's not, it's my advice is to the financiers is try to find, but it's happening anyway. You know, Netflix, is producing things more diverse and more interesting. You know, um, Netflix and and the and Amazon and all the other platforms, there is this new reach out, you know, people like Sean Rhymes is so influential, you know, things like um, Bridgerton, you know, which is, it's just interesting because you can retell stories. You know, people are saying, oh, but there weren't black people then. And there've always been people of multiple ethnicities. I don't even like the world ethnicity, but Know there have always been people from all over the world. Uh, We've traveled a lot more. I'm from you know Viking origin, and there were people you know, there were you know, there were slaves, there were Irish slaves in Algeria in 200 years ago, then went back. People like you know, the patron saint of Ireland, St. Patrick, he arrived in Ireland from somewhere else as a slave. Um, you know, there's been a lot more movement. Before there were, you know, women explorers 200 years ago, there's always been people, human beings. We travel. We like to travel. We like to set off into the great distance, and that's been happening long before airplanes and long before, um, you know, film. And it's just about having that sense that diversity has always existed. You know, it's very interesting. There's stories. You know, there was there's a medical school for women in. Pennsylvania, which is set up by Quakers. And I've got a picture, which I put on my social media the other day, of three women who trained as doctors and they graduated in 1896. And it was a woman from Syria, a woman from Japan and a woman from India. So they were in the photograph, which is a beautiful photograph of three young women for very, very different reasons who wanted to be doctors. And they traveled in the 1800s and qualified as doctors and went back to their own countries to set up hospitals. hospital. Um, and people don't talk about that, they talk about, it's the same medical school where, you know, the first Afro-American female doctors graduated, but they graduated a very, very, very long time ago. And people are still talking about how difficult it is and talking about, you know, how, you know, oh, for a woman to be a doctor or, you know, somebody from, you know, non-white male, or, you know, when I am being asked to cast a doctor, they always seem to think that I am going to be a middle-aged white man. And it's just not true. There is so much more diversity off the screen than there is on the screen. And I think it's very important that the screen reflects it. And, you know, people seem to talk about it as though the film was telling us how to live, but I feel like this, films have sometimes made us put people into boxes, but they, didn't, they weren't in and aren't in habitually. I think there's a lot. The world is such a diverse place. Um, people are so interesting and fascinating that you have to find those stories and make sure that you're telling them.
1: And what? so why do you think is film uh, putting things and people into boxes? Why would you say that is the case?
0: Because look at all the films that have been popular. Look at, you know, the Oscar nominations where everybody's white or where, um, you know... Arabs are always in, you know. I'm talking more about American films, but also there's, you know, being cast as terrorists. You know, I can remember um, with, you know, looking at a friend of mine um, who's Tunisian showreel, um, I, and my ex husband's Arab, um, and we were looking at his showreel, and he said, Why is he always playing a terrorist? I said, Because those are the roles he's been being offered. This was quite a few years ago now. That is why when you get stories, you know, about terrorism, then there's no backstory to why somebody is taking the actions that they've taken, which are often much more interesting and more diverse than being just they're evil and they want to blow up America. Um, The stories about relationships, the stories about, you know, where somebody is gender, sexuality, you know, I feel like, you know, there's, I think a lot of things are happening. I think there is definitely room for improvements in, you know, people are, in every continent of the world, there are people who are struggling. there are people who are doing very, very well. There are people who are extremely successful. There are stories, you know, I mean, you know, I'm always, I'm always trying to highlight them, you know, of, I don't know, Black American ballet dancers, you know, and that was a whole struggle to become taken seriously as a lead Afro-American dancer. But the guy who set up the Harlem Ballet, you know, was an amazing guy, the way he saw his school. And that was a story that I've never seen, you know, a fiction film about him, for example. And that would be great. But I mean, so I think it is because the stories that are being financed are often being financed because they're going to be reach out to, you know, the lowest common denominator. And I would think that it's just about, and people expect, you know, I mean, even things like, until very, very recently, all the Disney princesses were like Cinderella, you know, and it was even seen to be kind of, you know, breakthrough with, um, you know, having Mulan was kind of a breakthrough, you know, or even, and I think it's really, you know, it's just important to remember that the narrative reflects of, you know, part of us, but we also need to make sure that the narrative reflects a more universal worlds.
1: Yeah, I guess it's also very easy because, uh, I mean, it is a human tendency to pigeonhole things, I think, for all of us and to challenge that in oneself and to, like, you know, yeah. think outside the box. It's very, very difficult for people, I think. But I think that's yeah. because of film. I think it's
0: not that difficult when you ask people. It's about asking the questions. I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, I think it's... a Responsibility as well of filmmakers. What is the
1: responsibility? Yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: Hmm. I mean, I think what, for me, what I always have the image. It's very, very important, you know. And it's the only things that I have, you know, refused to cast are roles, you know, that are playing. I don't know. Arab kids as thieves in Barcelona, and it's just like no. Yes, there are some, but there are also others. But if we put it on the screen, you know, and you're not reflecting the fact that you know a lot of. Um, you know, Arabs in Spain are also doctors, but they're never put on the screen. And it's, for me, it's the image of children, or even I've spoken to, you know, friends of mine who are gay growing up in small villages and not seeing gay people represented on the screen in a very normal and natural way was, you know, didn't help their lives when it's very normal to be, you know, natural and live a normal life. But it just, if you can see it, you can be it. And I think that's very important that you have to be able to make sure that the world represents it so that children watching TV don't feel like the norm- normal is not them because we're all normal. You know, there is no abnormality. But when you make film into a stereotypical, you know, what is normal? You know, mom and dad and two kids. And then you think that if you're not that, then you're not normal. And that, I think, is... And I think it's part of the problem, you know, politics at the moment, and it's part of the problem with the rise of, you know, this anxiety, which is making people lean, you know, without getting too political, towards the, you know, neo liberals or right wing, you know, which we're seeing across many parts of the world. I think it's part of this thing of people saying, oh, this is normal, you know, Superman is normal, you know, or it's normal, whereas everything is normal. You know, the moment that you're born, you're normal, and it doesn't matter. Or normal or special, which are two sides of the same coin, you're unique. And if everybody's unique, there is no normality.
1: Uh, Yeah, I guess there's also like a lot of fear in people of something that they don't know. And of something that isn't what they, you know, think is normal. Exactly. And there's a lot of, it's like, and then they escape, they create scapegoats, so they're, they're, they're guilty. Yeah, and, that's know, it's what, not us, it's never us, right? It's never you, it's never us, it's always the other person. And that's, I think, part of
0: what is being done to, in education and in politics is because when somebody is scared, they're really easy to manipulate. Because you go with something that's very secure. I mean, an example that I use quite a lot is like, you know, if you're standing on the beach and there's a tsunami coming and you can see it and the person goes, this is the way, follow me, I can get you out of this. And there's another person saying, OK, let me just have a think about this. I'm not really sure that I'm going to have a think. When you're scared, you go with somebody who offers you the security. And there is no proof that that person knows any more than the person who's actually taking a moment to think about it and who isn't sure. Because if you're intelligent, in my mind and um, then you're never sure because you need to investigate more. Whereas if you are just saying, I know, I know, I know, then, you know, you probably haven't thought about it very much.
1: Yeah, it is about challenging your your, your thoughts and emotions and everything in the end, isn't it, uh-huh. as well, yeah. Mm. Uh but also I find the scary thing is that all these people, I mean, the, the whole scary right-wing movement and everything, that I find like a lot of them are not even aware of the fact that they're scared. They just feel all this hatred and, you know, the blame and everything.
0: Yeah, because we're not allowed to feel scared anymore. And So you're meant to cover up, and, you know, if you repress fright, it becomes anxiety. And then if you're not allowed to express your emotions and you're not shown how to express your emotions by watching film and television and being educated in culture, which is going back to our previous point, then you don't realise that your aggression is just a manifestation of fear.
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of work to do.
0: <laughs> and there's a lot of fun to be had as well, because it is fun. I mean, I think it's, you know, another of the advice that I like to give people at the moment is to remember to tread lightly. You know, and that's what artists have to do. You know, this, there is a lot of fun still to be had, and we do need to tread lightly. And with other people that's asking questions, and exploring and having fun you know it's not just about you know hard slog
1: No, especially not taking yourself too seriously I'd say. I'd say it's very important not
0: to take yourself too seriously
1: what are your plans for the future what are your main things on the bucket list now
0: my plans for the future are not to make too many plans because it's a very okay. big, I mean I think I'm, <laughs> I'm very keen on making three month plans because we kind of know where we're going to be from three months to three months kind of um yeah my plans for the future are exactly that trying to have as much joy in my life as possible given the current circumstances um keep working because I you know I like my work um and then hopefully 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 be able to travel again and go back to Ireland and see my family because I haven't seen them for a year and uh, well over a year now so and I'm used to going back every two months so those are my immediate plans Keep asking, keep talking, stay active, stay creative.
1: Where can people find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? The
0: best way to get in touch with me is probably to follow me on Instagram, which is Lucy underscore Lennox. And that's me um, because that's the sort of easiest way. And then if somebody's got a question, I mean, if you, you know, Google my name, then all my contact has come up, you know, send emails. But, you know, I guess where I like interacting with people most is on Instagram.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. Any parting words, last thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners?
0: I think just that. Just as listeners are actors, remember how important you are to the industry. And there is an imbalance of power in the industry, but try to build yourself and feel strong because we need you a lot more than you need us.
1: Great. Thanks so much, Lucy. Great. Thanks so much for your time and, and, and all. It's, You're it's very great. welcome.
0: Well, it was really nice talking to you. All right.
1: Thank you for listening. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to it, and you can share it on social media. It really does help other listeners find us. And make sure to subscribe to get the next episode. Thanks so much for your support.